Hi everyone and welcome to the Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you for joining us today and don't forget to come back every Friday for a new episode with special guests from the leading companies in the supply chain. On this week's episode, I talked to Glenn Rabby, CEO at Yellowfin. Yellowfin is an analytics and business software company focused on helping businesses understand and manage their data. We will be discussing the value of data to the supply chain, digital and data literacy, as well as the all-important topic of digital transformation. So firstly, Glenn, can you just explain to myself and the listeners kind of your position at Yellowfin and any jobs and education prior that landed you here? Yeah, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Yellowfin. My role in the business is probably really just derived by the fact that I did start it, so I get to choose my job. Um, but I think it was really my background in analytics um, and and business. So I studied uh, business uh, at university, uh, ended up working sort of in, as a data analyst at a large bank. And it was those two things combined that really sort of was the formation of what gave me the skills and, and the desire to start the business in the first place. And then and then over the years, quite frankly, when you're, when you're a really small business and you're a CEO of a very small business, it's very di- different to being a CEO of a bigger business. And so you kind of grow with the role. And so, you know, I've kind of managed to stay on top of things in that respect. Amazing. Yeah. And kind of, I was wondering if you could explain to us Yellowfin's position in the market and kind of what you do actually in particular relation to the supply chain. Yeah. So we are a BI and analytics solution. So, um, you know, we started life really from the, again, from the perspective of the data analyst, someone who wants to analyze data and, and wanted to do that over the web. So that's, that was how we started. And as a, as a business, on the one hand, we're very data or, or um, agnostic. So we don't really care too much at some level about what kind of data we're analyzing. You know, it's, it's time-based, et cetera, and, and you're building charts and you're building line charts and all those sorts of things. Um, but as your business evolves and as you uh, work and you sell into customers, you start to get quite a deep understanding about certain industries and certain, certain verticals. And, and one of those areas in particular is supply chain for us. So we have a lot of customers and, and myself have been involved in a lot of conversations and have a much deeper understanding about supply chain analytics and how organizations, you know, from whether they're retailers who, who are relying on manufacturers or manufacturers themselves, um, you know, are, are trying to manage their supply chain and do that via data um, and, and, and data analysis. Yeah, and I kind of want to touch here kind of on the actual value of data um, within the supply chain and maybe thinking about um, different levels and tiers and the actual value of it between these different levels? Well, in particular in supply chain, right? You've got, um, there is so much uh, cost associated with timeliness, which is ensuring that you have all the components you need at the right time to be able to build and deliver and ship, right? And so the the shorter the time frame you can have, the less inventory you hold or the less delay in manufacture, um, the ability to fulfill orders, all of those things, um, you know, that, that timeliness ultimately is where data is so important, is understanding exactly where friction lies in your supply chain, what, what areas at risk, what happens if one supplier drops out, do you have the ability to source from another supplier in the timeframes required uh, to deliver your product to market, etc. Um, and so, you know, from a, from a business perspective um, and, you know, really deeply understanding and being able to optimise your supply chain is where the value of the data is. You know, it's it's those, it's 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 that's where you you get your you can increase your margins in your business 
rather than having excess inventory or, or delaying delivery of stock. Right. And so is this kind of all about um, like real time data and kind of real time tracking? And it is that, you know, but it's also understanding. So I mean, there's two parts, depending who you, what kind of business you're in. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can be a supply led business. So, you know, there are there are organizations that that manage themselves based on how much they can manufacture, as an example. And so, you know, they'll optimize their production systems to manufacture a certain rate to to optimize the the the, the output from production. Um, and if you're that kind of business, then you think very differently to a demand-driven business, which is you're trying to create demand and therefore you actually have to rely on your suppliers to be able to deliver as much product as you can possibly shove through the sausage machine. From both perspectives, what you're really doing is you are looking constantly at maximizing your outputs. And, and you know, on the supply side, it's probably less real-time in some respects. But on the demand side, it's very much real time. You know, as soon as someone's doing an order, you know, if it's online, you're doing e-commerce, then you need to know you can fulfill it and you need to know that you can deliver that out, that, that uh, product. Um, and so for those types of organization, they are very much concerned about being able to dial up and dial down um, their manufacture of product to, to meet demand uh, in, in, a, in a real real time circumstance. Yeah, and we I suppose we're talking here a lot kind of about digital systems and this is kind of a digital kind of database and talking about like digital transformation. Um, have you been involved in kind of streamlining processes for companies to improve their data management? And do you have kind of a, uh, any examples of this? Oh, so many. Uh, it's, a, yeah, it's an area we've done a lot of work in. I think, look, in all honesty, I think one of the, the kind of hidden or less talked about realities of, of modern businesses and, and ones that are doing digital transformation or who have transformed is that the reality is data is complex. Like it, to get it right and to optimize your business around it is a complex task. It's not as easy as people say. There's no magic bullet. You just walk in and go, done. And, you know, you fixed everything. And, oh, my God, look at that. We're just we're humming, you know, all because of the data. Um, you know, data is complex. People have got lots of systems. They've got lots of inter- interlocking with other applications or other businesses. Um, and so when you start to work with a business, really, you, you, you start with trying to understand their business processes, what are you trying to optimize and what data do you need from their systems to be able to do that effectively and efficiently. Um, and that often is really the biggest piece of work that you do in the whole process. You know, once your data is in a good shape, you can do so much with it. But it's that first step of just kind of taking that big, deep breath and going, oh, my God, we're going to start this thing. Um, and honestly, I think that's where a lot of companies stall. You know, they, they just, they, they never get over that, 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 that hurdle of just going, all right, this is a big project. We've got to do it. We've got to do it well. They try and tinker at the edges. Um, and as a result, they never get the benefits that they had hoped for from, you know, from data. Yeah, that's kind of something I wanted to touch on was getting over that hurdle and how, um, you know, data literacy comes into it and kind of, what is the importance of actually understanding data? And obviously there's so many benefits from it, um, like you said. Yeah, it's a really, it's one of my hobby horse topics, the data literacy. So again, I think um, there's, a, there's a generalization that we're saying that everyone needs to be data literate, but most people that I talk to in business are actually incredibly data literate. They actually really understand their own part of the business very well. What they don't necessarily understand is the plumbing of the data that helps them to get there, right? And so... The, the plumbing work is actually, that complex work 
is where that's where the risk is. You, you, you hire a plumber, you know, a data plumber, if you like, um, and they come into your business and they've got no idea about what's been done before. They don't know what bits are rusty. They don't know if there's a bottle, you know, where the bottlenecks are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, those people having a conversation with them and helping them to understand exactly what's required and therefore how to structure the data and how to get it ready is is the most critical. The individuals themselves, the business people themselves, if you give them the data in the right shape, uh, they have a complete understanding about what's going on. You know, they look at it, they understand it, it's intuitive. I've never been in a business where someone, you, you know, you talk to someone about their part of the business and they and you show them really good data about that and they don't understand it. You know, that I think that's, but it's this, it's this disconnect about how to ask for the right data that is actually the challenge, I think. And, um you know, I, I see that even in our own business the whole time. You know, there's there's some some people who who really understand data, understand data structures, understand what it takes to get to an outcome, where others are just asking for an outcome and can't help the data plumbers to kind of get it to where it needs to get to. And so that to me is the biggest risk, and that's the biggest risk around data literacy. And honestly, I'd flip it on its head and say, I think the people that you work with, the data plumbers, as I just called them, you know, I think that they should actually be far more business literate. You know, those are the ones that should actually take the time to learn the business, to understand what kind of data structures make the most sense. And then they'd be far more valuable as opposed to just simply being mechanical about their job. So I like to blame the people working on the data as opposed to the people in the business who understand the data, but just don't know how to ask for it properly. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on that. Right, yeah, and um, I'm kind of wonder- wondering if we can talk about um, Yellowfin kind of um, dashboard, as as maybe we would call it, and kind of like how you actually uh, view or can view your data. I was wondering if you could kind of run me through that and kind of if you optimize that to be easily read and understood for the data illiterate. A dashboard is a, is a is a combination of multiple charts that try to tell a story about a particular topic area. That's that's the simple, simple way of thinking about it. And well, one of the mistakes lots of people make, uh, if I could go through a whole range of mistakes, but is they try to put everything onto one page. And you're like, oh my God, I can't consume that. What am I trying to do? And so um, if we're gonna take you know a simple dashboard, which is, um, let's just say, um, warehouse supply, you know, inventory supply, um, and I'm just, and I'm really just focused on inventory. Like I'm just like managing inventory in my stores or wherever. Um, then that dashboard has got to help me understand exactly what my current position is today. You know, so if I'm operational, I want that to be really quite real time. I want it, I want that within my span of control over the next few days. Whereas the CEO, as an example, looking at the same kind of data, might be looking at you know a, a three month or a six month or a nine month time horizon. And so they'll be looking more at trends and going, well, how does this trend versus the person who has to deliver the stock is thinking very differently. And so dashboards need to be optimized for the person that's using them. Right? So they've got to be designed really around the role and the job. And so there's no such thing as one dashboard fits all. The dashboards that I use in my business are very, very different to the ones that the salespeople use, that my CFO uses, because I just have a different perspective. You know, I'm looking for different things. And so uh, that's kind of the first thing, is to make sure that it, it really suits you, the user, that it's it's within a, a topic area. Like It's better to have lots of dashboards and flick through them than to have one that's super huge, because again, you get, get over the top. And then within that, <clears throat> the question you're always asking is, what is it that I need to know 
specifically at this point in time. So when I'm using this dashboard, what action do I, am I going to want to take? What is it going to drive me to do? You know, what levers can I pull based on the data? So again, a very important thing there is never, never show metrics that you can do nothing about. So a really good one is weather, right? You know, you've got no control over the weather. It's one of those really, it's, and it, you know, and so it's almost pointless having weather on your dashboard as an example. I mean, it's a silly example, but it kind of highlights the point. There's nothing I can do about it. Now, uh, however, if you know, if you've got weather forecasts and you understand what happened with weather in the past on your business, then you could build forecast models on your dashboard to say, well, look, it's going to be raining in seven days. You might want to push out orders today and avoid the big rain that's coming. So those are the kind of ways that you could, you could use information and create, create actionable outcomes for people. Um, the second area I think with dashboards is they fundamentally are about, as you said, sort of the real-time aspect of the business. You're using them to just take the pulse continuously. What dashboards don't do, and I think this is again what's quite often missed, is they don't really explain why things happened, right? So they show you stuff that happened, but they, and it's great if you live that data day to day and you're in that and you, and you have an intuitive understanding of the whole thing, but they don't allow you to effectively communicate to a non-expert what's going on in that part of the business. And so that's where you want to think about sort of data storytelling and other mechanisms. And if you've got to do internal reporting to your, to your boss, you're unlikely to give them a dashboard and go help yourself. Just go look at the data. You are probably going to go and take screenshots and put that data into a PowerPoint or put it into a, a Word document and you're going to type stuff up and you're going to explain it, right? And so people often forget that dashboards on their own don't deliver all the needs, all the information needs of business. And so how you communicate what's happening, how you justify what's happening, how you talk about the decisions you made because of data, those things tend to happen outside of a dashboard in other mechanisms. Um, but again, you know, when you're building something and you're really thinking about it, and you're really thinking about the role, you are thinking about what that person needs to do and what action they need to take. Amazing. And this has kind of got me thinking about actually um, COVID slightly and, and working from home because I'm sure um, you probably optimize cloud-based and IoT-based systems and such. So kind of, um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering how COVID affected you guys over there um, at Yellowfin and kind of Australia as a whole. Um, I don't I don't know how it handled COVID on the other side of the planet, but um, I'm just kind of curious if you could kind of let us know a little bit about that and how it affected businesses, really. Yeah, so we were we were quite different to most of the rest of the world, other than New Zealand, maybe. Um, and in Melbourne in particular, we probably had the worst of it. So uh, we had an incredibly long lockdown uh, at the start of COVID. So before the cases really ramped up, um, and because we are an island, even though, the, you know, um, Britain is an island. Um, but if you, apart from that, we, we essentially closed our borders. So, you know, we didn't allow anyone in. And then we just went into a complete lockdown. And Melbourne was in lockdown for at least nine months. Um, and that was like a phase four lockdown. So that it was, you weren't, you're only allowed to leave the home once a day. Uh, you could go, you know, one person was allowed to go shopping. That was it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that that was really terribly difficult, I'd say, coming out of it. Uh, and, and it felt like an inordinately long time at the time. Thank God it's over. Uh, and I think, I mean, for us, we were lucky. We had already, we were actually shifting offices at the time. So we actually moved into a new office the day that lockdown started. So we didn't get to use it for nine months. Uh, but as a result of that, as a result of moving, we had this little wedge in the middle where we were, we were leaving one office and moving into the other. And while all the IT stuff was happening, 
everyone had to work from home. And so everyone was already at home. And it was like nothing, like it literally just that one week was went 10 into nine months. So that was kind of one hand lucky because everyone had everything they needed and we were all set up mm-hmm. for it. Um, but I think it really did, it, it fundamentally, if you look at it as an Australia-wide level, you know, it has, and it's just a truism, but it really has shifted um, the world to far more online perspective, you know. And so, um, you know, from, you know, ordering uh, your food, ordering deliveries, you know, purchasing online, you know, it, it has the direct-to-consumer market for, for most retailers is probably the most significant growth of their business. Um, and, you know, that's going to have a fundamental impact on bricks-and-mortar businesses, right, going forward. I, I, um, the city, I mean, we can go back to work. 70% of people allowed back in the office now. I was in the office today, and the city just, yes, there's people, but it feels like it's probably about 20% of the people there from what it was oh, wow. pre-COVID. So no one's rushing back to go to the office and... and you know, so people are probably shopping much more locally. Again, we noticed that the local strip shops and everything, you know, that's where everyone was. Um, but the city itself is dead. So those destination places, I think, have really struggled um, where, 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 where there was local shopping nearby. I think that's what's, what's really grown. Um, and I think it's had a, you know, if you look at, again, so from a supply chain perspective, um, you know, it's had, a, 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 again, a profound impact on the way people are going to shop. Uh, and the way people are going to expect sort of delivery of goods in the future. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's, it really has been quite interesting to sort of be part of. And I'm sure that people will be talking about this period for years in the future. Yeah, there's so much to uh, kind of like pick apart and look at, isn't there, really? Um, I'm kind of want, wanting to touch on slightly maybe like digital transformation and how you feel COVID affected that, um, whether it was in a negative or in a positive way. Yeah, look, I think. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing this over Zoom. We could have done it beforehand. Um, but the number of, you know, the number of meetings that have shifted to Zoom has been phenomenal. So mm-hmm. what, what are the really big impacts I think will not, will not change in this? I, I think travel, uh, you know, for business is going to take decades to recover. Um, you know, no one, you know, I was, actually, I was just talking to a head of sales in Japan last night and Japan's a very intensive face-to-face meeting place. And he was talking about his dad, who, who now only works from home. And you know, his job, he was a salesman. His job was just purely face-to-face meetings. hasn't hasn't been face-to-face for three months. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's for a country like Japan, which is so reliant. And if, so for everyone else, you're like thinking, oh, geez, do I fly to London? Do I fly to Paris? Or do I just stay home and just Zoom this one? Yeah, yeah I'm going to Zoom it, right? So that's yeah, going to, you know, so... There's, put it this way, there's a lot more planes that are now open for freight, right? They can definitely take freight, so that's going to change. Um, so that's a big one. I think, you know, in terms of organisations themselves, I think organisations are going to have to be very flexible about how people work and where they work. And so enabling your people to work from home as well as in the office and a, a mix of the two. I'm filming a camp of bringing people together at least a few times a week to for collaboration. I think that's really important. But... Um, yeah, so I think that's going to happen. You're going to have a lot more, which means, again, from an office perspective, you're going to take far less occupancy, right? So, you know, the office that we've got now, we, we thought we'd get maybe three years out of it. We'll get six to ten out of it now because we're just, mm-hmm. we're just going to hot desk the whole place and we'll be done. Um, and then I think, you know, going back to how people shop and how people buy, 
Um, that you know, that's you know, the Australian market is not as sort of sophisticated as the US in this. So I lived in the US for a while, and people there, especially in the town, like in sort of outside of the major cities, they would buy you know one of every sort of shirt or dress in every color. They'd get it shipped. They'd choose the one they like, and they'd ship the others back. Right. So they'd have this kind of. Um, that doesn't happen in Australia. That we're we're a long way from that mentality. Uh, but that that has its roots back in the sort of uh, the catalog days in the US and catalog shopping, which was never huge here. But again, I think most people now are really comfortable buying online and you know and returning goods and doing all you know if it doesn't fit, just send it back. Um, so I think that again has a profound impact for for how people shop and buy, and it it has a profound impact for how your products get known in the market, right? So. There's less opportunity. What's great about retail and bricks and mortar is that you browse. You, know, you walk around and you see what's there and you, you, know, you can find things that you didn't expect. Whereas online, that's actually a lot harder. Like finding unique things online is terribly, terribly difficult unless you want to spend the whole weekend just blowing your time looking for that new shirt, right? So, um, so I think that's, that's really kind of interesting. Uh, I think, you know, looking at financial systems, um, you know, the rise of the whole afterpay stuff where, you know, you sort of buy now, pay later um, rather than just putting your credit card. That's having a profound impact again on shopping habits and how people change. Um, and so, yeah, it's just this ripple effect is just, it's huge, right? And just all of these um, services and software that are helping to kind of streamline that whole online experience for the consumer is, is quite extraordinary. Yeah, and um, kind of, Talking about the consumer and, and moving into that slightly, how has data impacted the consumer, if if any? I mean, uh, we talk about transparency a lot, kind of understanding where things have come from, the importance of that, um, even in the message of kind of sustainability is kind of becoming more of a trend now. So, yeah, the question would be um, kind of what is the value of data for the end consumer? Yeah, oh, I think well, I still think they're the data product mostly. Like, you know, they are... Tools, tools, tools like Facebook, you know, still their, their job is to collect data about you, the consumer, right? And to sell that data to, to, to organizations to target you for advertising. Um, and so I, I think for the consumer, I, I don't, the only thing you've got, the only thing that's good about online shopping is pricing, right? Is, is getting, that's, you know, and that's, that's your ability to shop and price. And, to determine the total cost to you, you know, do I go pick it up? Do I go get it delivered? Um, do I save more by doing that, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So I think from a consumer perspective, and if you're if you're doing a lot of online shopping, that's that's fantastic. Um, my favourite one in that space actually is where you get when you get aggregated um, sites like uh, Google Flights was a really good example. I used to use that all the time before when I could still fly, um, mm-hmm. and that's a really good example of how. An intermediary like Google can commoditize a market, right? And so they can come in and by making all flights pricing very, very transparent instantly for a shopper, um, you actually, you create price pressure on the suppliers. Um, And, you know, that will happen. It's like compare the market for insurance is a really good example. You know, those, so those where you can come in, you can aggregate. And so that I think... I haven't really yet seen it in the sort of general consumer space, um, but there were, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're still going to do it yourself. But it's those kind of where where software is coming in and interjecting itself and aggregating content up and then offering you best 
best offers, you know, and that best offer stuff is happening in many sectors. It's happening in electricity, in insurance, in healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, in that respect, you know, the consumer is getting better market uh, information faster to make the right choice. And if, and those intermediaries are commoditizing the market that sits behind it, right? Because you've got, you've got all that transparency. So that's probably really good for them. On the flip side, you know, what do you as a consumer give away? You give away a lot of data about yourself. You know, you tell, you're telling the market who you are, what your preferences are, how you shop, you know, and then they'll roll you up into a customer segment, you know, and they will, they will market and build product for that segment. So, um, yeah, that's the trade-off. And actually something um, you mentioned in a question earlier was about kind of, uh, you said uh, you like to bring your teams together, and kind of collaborate a few times a week. I'm kind of wondering, um, kind of, has your leadership role changed during COVID? Um, obviously, your management style, maybe as well. I'm kind of wanting you to touch on that slightly. Uh, it ha- well, yeah, yeah. I'm too. I'm a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. You know, I've got there's the online me, uh, and then there's the there's the offline in the office me, uh, and they're kind of two different people. So, in the online me, uh, I very rarely, I really try to control how much I interject on other people's days. Like I try, I avoid, mm-hmm. I avoid those quick questions. I avoid going, Hey, come and look at this. Um, and so I don't do that because I, I found personally that when you get lots of little dings going on, you just don't have time to think. And it's, and so, and when you're online, no one else knows that you've been dinged, right? So they can't see that this is the 10th time you've been dinged in the hour. So you've kind of got to, got to, got to control that. Versus in an offline world, it's really easy to know how busy people have been. You just, you kind of got this innate sense. You can kind of see, oh, look, they've been just at their desk for the last hour. I can go and chat to them because they haven't been doing, you know, like no one else has chatted to them. So I'm good to go, you know, and annoy them. Um, so in my online, my offline me, uh, typically I would, I would have spoken to almost everybody every day. And just go on, how are you going? What are you doing? Show me what you're up to. Specifically the developers, because I love seeing what the devs are doing. You know, I like to look over their shoulder and go, oh, that looks really cool. You know, um, and I, that would be part and parcel of what I did every day. And online, I just didn't do it. I just never, you know, it was, it, that happened maybe once a month that I'd speak. Then it would be in a group of people. Um, and so I think that that immediacy and that just, you know, trying to respect time online versus, how you really communicate when you're with people uh, is quite different. Um, and I don't like meetings is my other thing. So, <laughs> which is a long story about me, but um, you know, lots of people have jobs because they think meetings are important. And I, my goal is to reduce them as much as possible and have really short, meaningful conversations. So you still meet, but you don't meet in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think online one of the problems of the online world is they it generated lots and lots of meetings uh, where people thought they were busy and they thought they were productive, but in reality, things actually slowed down. You know, we were, as a business, we were nowhere near as productive as we are now that some people are back in the office. Yeah, and I um, I kind of want to think about the future slightly as we start to wrap things up here. Um, kind of where do you see Yellowfin kind of moving in the future and maybe uh, looking at it from a, industry-wide perspective as well, kind of just in a digital transformation uh, kind of standpoint, where do you see the future of, of all this going, maybe with COVID in mind as well? Yeah, look, I think 
what's really interesting so covid go back to covid so a good friend of mine is um a general manager of a large uh, retailer um and got, you know sort of thinking about all of the conversations we've had you know they've shifted from being a you know uh, a a manufacturer of goods to really that demand generation so you know direct to consumer business um they have really started this journey around trying to get their data prepared and ready to help them to do that from a managerial perspective and they're really struggling when I mean, they've, they've spent a lot of time on that and they've really had difficulty doing it well um and so one of the things i think is the, the that has to me has been highlighted which i think is one of the really interesting things in the market is that instead of for us instead of being a horizontal solution provider and you know simply selling a tool set that you use to go and analyze your data is actually working with some of our partners, some of our customers, and building full solutions um, that our customers can use so that, um, you know, we could build an end-to-end supply chain model, as an example, uh, that you can just simply plug in and go, well, if you put your data in these bits here, coming out the other end will be these dashboards, right? And this, these will help you manage your business, run your business from a senior level to a you know, production facility level. And I think... That's the way analytics has to go for it to be really valuable to most organizations. You know, most people just don't have the time, inclination or skill set to do the heavy lifting. But packaging that up and sort of product, productizing that, I think, is the future for data. And that's sort of, you know, where we are and really, really excited about it. Amazing. Yeah, thank you for that. I was kind of wondering if you just had uh, maybe like a final message or anything you kind of wanted to say uh, to the audience. <laughs> Apart from buy yellowfin, because you should. No, look, I, <laughs> no, not at all. I, I think um, no, really. I think data is is such a fundamental aspect of all businesses. And I think you know, going back to your very first question, how did I get into it? I think if you're going to be in business and you're going to run a business and you're going to be or running a, a division or you have hopes of doing that, then I think understanding how data has an impact on your business and understanding how you need to think about it. Is, is really important and can be very, very exciting. You know, so don't get too hung up on it. Um, it is, you know, it's, it's, an expi- it's a very, very exciting space to be in and it's, and it's something that we're all going to have to work with uh, over the next few years. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, so I guess kind of to wrap things up, I would just like to say thank you for coming on and for your time. Um, I've really appreciated our discussion. Um, I kind of hope that, um, you know, this discussion can kind of always carry on, I like to say, over LinkedIn and kind of, um use our platform to kind of share some really awesome stuff so um yeah i'd like to thank you for coming on and yeah i hope to speak to you soon awesome thanks emily really appreciate it it was fun yeah no worries thank you